0: So I am going to uh, start this now a little bit. I'm going to just show one thing and then pass it over to my two moderators, Dr. Lisa Canada and Dr. Joseph Aloud. Both of them do not need any big introductions from me. You guys have seen them lecture and lead uh, the orthopedic community tremendously over the years, uh, over your your years. Um, I, I want to do one of a couple of our board members here, Bruce Gomberg and Jeffrey Wint. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Who who joined us here from the journal? Uh, I'm going to share my screen and hopefully you guys don't get as many of these as I get. All right. So this is, you can see my screen. This is one of my many rejections from reviewers uh, of some abstracts from the Academy. They had 7,000 abstracts and I guess they had to review all of them. I just hope I had a good reviewer because uh I'm getting tired of this incredible streak of uh of articles uh at the academy getting getting pushed to the side. But I will I will not blame it on the reviewers. I will probably blame it on our study more than anything. Um, but I'm gonna leave turn this over to uh, Lisa and Joe to talk about the topic today of uh yeah whether it's uh, as in Joe I've heard uh, Joe's lecture on uh you know how not to um be a bad reviewer or how to review a paper or a combination of both uh so uh I think I'll, I'll start uh alphabetically with Joe Joe you want to just uh introduce the topic and Lisa will talk and we'll start the discussion going
1: <laughs> sure I, I think that you know um for our audience as you move up the ladder of being a med student, resident, fellow, young attending, and then somebody who's interested and in, in, uh, involved in academics, Um, the, the sort of logical next step that happens is you start becoming involved in the re- review of papers, manuscripts, abstracts, meeting submissions. All those things get sort of in some way in your mind, I guess, lumped into a category of uh, reviewing something based on your expertise and then rendering an opinion as to whether that is something of, of merit to be further pursued, whether it be by the journal or uh, meeting. And if it is going to be pursued, what are sort of the areas of um, critique that you would provide? And so that's what Lisa and I are going to do tonight is kind of talk about that process because uh, early on in your career, it can be a little bit overwhelming as far as Gosh, I'm being asked to review articles. Um, these are articles by people that I think are of significantly uh, higher standing in uh, in the world of academia. And yet they're asking my opinion. And how do I render my opinion in a way that's valuable uh, and respectful to the work that's being done? Uh, and then also making sure that it's in, in line with what that journal uh, wants to sort of focus on. So with that said, I'll, I'll I'll let Lisa kind of give her thoughts and then we'll kind of go back and forth in our thoughts. And I want to make sure this is a kind of in, in, in the spirit of Joey, a very uh, involved, engaged audience. Please stop us, interrupt us, ask us questions. We don't want this to be didactic. We, we want this to be interactive.
2: Thank you, Joe. And I will pay attention to the chat room because gosh knows I don't want you to become a trauma patient uh, so I'll do the chat room and pray in, uh, for the questions. So uh, today we're talking about being a reviewer. But first I want to go back. I don't know if you know the peer review process for all of us, we've been, you know, getting some rejections and acceptances over the past 20 years. but there was a 1996 article that surveyed the top 100 journals and peer review process really, had only been around as as we know it for about 20 years before that in the top journals. So in the 1970s is when the real process started. And in this 1996 article, they surveyed the top 100 journals Uh, And when they sent something to be peer reviewed, only one in four sent full review instructions Uh, and only one half asked that it remain confidential. So, you know, people were getting ideas how to do research from doing these peer reviews. There was none of that now. And uh, in only half of the top 100 journals, did they ask if the results and conclusions were reasonable? Um, And at that time, believe it or not, there was a over 90% acceptance rate for most of the journals. So we know that's not the way it is now. The statistics on the top journals are way off of that, but that's not, that was 1996. So just to let you know how this process has come along, but I'm going to talk to you about why do we spend our time reviewing so, one, you can give back and provide a service to others. Uh, it helps you in academics. It helps you learn to read critically. Uh, and it actually, you know, I remember when I first got asked to be a reviewer, I was so excited. You know, it was an honor to be recognized that the research you done is, have done is recognized and that you're asked to review it. And also, you're shaping the future. Uh, Everything that you're talking about can affect clinical practice. It can affect, you know, uh, total joint surgeons. It can affect uh, shoulder surgeons, trauma surgeons. So you're giving back and shaping how uh, clinical practice of orthopedic goes. But before, uh, how, how do you know if you're prepared? You know, I had articles published. That's how I got prepared. But really, you wanna think about it as research. Many of you on this call have done research and many of you have attended a journal club. So you do have some experience, but before you start and accept a review, you wanna think, you know, think about a few things. Um, how do you get started? Do you wanna familiarize yourself with the scope of the journal? Journal of Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons is different then Journal of Surgical Education, than Joey, it's all different than all of these journals. So whoever you're reviewing for, learn about the journal. Who is who is the intended reader? Uh, and then uh, before you get started, anytime we're going to talk about how many times do you review read an article before you do the review? Joe, why don't you kick off and tell us how many times you read an article before you get to the review?
1: So, you know, quite honestly, even before I agree to review it, I oftentimes they'll give you the abstract and I'll be able to, to review that. And then uh, once I do agree to re- do the review, I do like to sit down uh, and read the paper uh, in its entirety, probably once, to get a sense of the topic. Obviously, you know, it's very important before you agree to do the review that you um, have content expertise. You are somebody who, you know, understands the issues that are going to be raised in this paper. Uh, what are the options, and can lend an expert opinion as to whether the study, etc., uh, was first of all worthwhile, well conducted, etc. And it has to be in your wheelhouse. If it's not, I think that, but you know, despite your sort of inclination to want to serve and advance that journal's uh, work product, you're not the best person to review that article. you should decline. Once you've, you've accepted, um, they all provide you a timeline of things. And I think one of the things I like to do is, like you said, Lisa, is read the paper once, just as a as a uh, you know quote unquote casual reader, get a sense of what the paper' is about, how the study was conducted, and then start to really um, dice it and slice it, uh, you know, intricately. But yeah, first I like to read it because I want to see what was the question asked, what was the hypothesis, what were the methods, you know, what was the what were the, the data gathering process and results, and what's the conclusion. And then then read it again, really to understand. Okay, does it meet my expectations as far as various sections of the, of the study? Does it make sense? Is it good science, um, and does it sort of uh, go along with what the mission and vision of that journal is as far as advancing that subspecialty or specialty?
2: Yeah, the great points. And I read it the first time, and then I read it again uh, to begin the review. I want to just start thinking about it. In a useful format when we're doing reviews, uh, I always like to try and summarize what the article is in a few sentences uh so i like to summarize the article first in a sentence or two so that you know two to three sentences what type of article it is and i'll go through that and what it's trying to find out and then we begin to look more critically at the meat so let's think about it the abstract first the abstract sometimes is well first that's what we get when we're asked to review an article does the abstract entice you and Remember, uh, there are some journal restrictions on abstract size, so sometimes you got to sum it up in 100 words or 350 words, a big difference, but the abstract has to entice you and make you want to read it. And is the right information in the abstract, especially in the results section, and is that going to affect clinical practice or address a knowledge gap, or is it going to open the door for more studies? That abstract, you can tell all of that. The introduction shouldn't be long and shouldn't be a review of the entire uh, literature. Uh, really, they should talk about why they're doing it. So that's what we look for in the introduction. Why are you doing it? And where does this study actually fit in? Um, and then I, you know, after the abstract, the introduction, the next thing is the methods. And that's where we want the details. And is the design there? And is the design gonna answer the questions? Um, There's many different types of studies in the, and we can't go through this all. There's prospective, retrospective, database studies are very popular nowadays. Case series, case studies, meta-analyses, single center, multi-center, all, you got that. We aren't gonna talk about that. But for the type of study that they are doing in the method section, they also have to fulfill some requirements. Uh, And sometimes it's not just clinical, sometimes it's basic science. Um, But the biggest thing is in the methods section, you wanna know what type of study it is and is the outcomes gonna be clearly defined. You wanna know how they're gonna get to the outcomes. And, And the statistics also that are being used should be in the methods section. Now, uh, Joe brought up a really good point. Do you have the background to be able to do the review? Not every journal, their majority of journals don't always expect you to have this statistical background to do the review, because many times there are statisticians they can refer to, Uh, and sometimes they might ask you if you're comfortable with the stats, and if not, or if you have questions, you might say this should be reviewed by a statistician. That's perfectly okay, because really, what you're looking at is, uh, you know, the critical, the clinical information or the scientific information. And so a statistician often isn't a doctor. One of my close friends, and uh, a statistician on multiple of my papers, is a PhD statistician who reviews for many top orthopedic journals because of her background. So it's okay not to have that. The results. I call the results the viz, the very important section, because you want the results section to be organized. You want it to clarify. You want to have demographics, details, complications, all kinds of things, figures and tables to augment. The figures and tables should augment what you find, and they should go along. Remember, there's the good saying about figures and ta- pictures worth a thousand words. And truly it can be in uh, journal reviews. The figures should provide clarity. Tables should provide demographics and results. There's a difference between a figure and a table. And then finally, the discussion, you know, really starting off with why did they do this study? But their study should be compared to the results in the literature and what their results are contributing. There always should be a strengths and a weaknesses section and then some conclusion. So that's how you want to make sure that the article includes that and comment on it. Are the strengths okay, or did they not recognize, and limitations, did they not recognize the biases that exist? And then we have to talk to the editor. Joe, how do you tell the editor what you think about the paper?
1: Well, Ira, how do people tell you that the paper is good or bad, Ira? You're yeah, the great question. editor of this journal. <laughs> I mean, I think this is more your wheelhouse than mine.
0: Yep, I got you. So I, I prepared a little screen share, okay? And I'm going to share um, my Chrome here. Um, and first, what I'm going to do is um, what happens here is it, this is how uh, the platform for Joey works. Um, they give an overall rating, uh, to the, to, to the article. They, the, the person. I don't even know what
1: anterior femoral notching is, Ira. Can you explain that to me? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I remember.
0: No, no. Most of the time it's purposeful femoral notching. Um, uh, no, it just
2: led to the periprosthetic that I fixed on Friday. Right.
0: Right. And they (laughs) fell down and broke their shoulder. So then Joe does a reverse shoulder replacement. (gasps) So all of us get a lot of business on this particular case. So they do an overall rating. They recommend accept, revise, and submit. Here are comments to the editor, all right? And here are specific comments that they're going to tell me that they most probably are not going to want the author to know. Something like, some people have written, I know who wrote this, I know the institution, blah, blah, blah. They're going to tell me some stuff that, maybe colors what they wouldn't be so harsh possibly to to the authors, okay, or a variety. Then we ask these specific questions: This paper makes a significant contribution to the orthopedic community. The paper is professionally written, easy to read, and free from grammatical spelling errors. The study is appropriate for this journal in that it shows either surgeon experience or innovation, which is the focus of our journal and the conclusions made by the authors are supported by the data in the results these are these are very variable and over time we add more questions then these are comments to the author okay then i ask the reviewer is the content appropriate for this journal in general and then the reviewer can add an attachment for example they might have redlined the article in word and they want to put up their redline uh, on the other hand, I could show you one of the reviewers did a pretty big review here. He gave it four. He said some comments to the editor. Okay, uh, that would might have been a highlight study. Made his opinions here, and then section by section, he he the this particular reviewer decided this should be revised and submit and he gave his opinions on what should be revised and submit minor and major revisions. So we ask our reviewers to concentrate on minor and major revisions and make it clear uh, to the author what they are asking if it's a revise and submit or why they are clearly rejecting it. So this is our process, which allows you to redline, but also allows you to just put your comments in. Then this goes back to a person who's assigned as the primary editor to um, look at all the reviews and, and see. And we will see, for example, I could look at some of these reviews. And if we look here, these are four reviewers, except revise and submit, revise and submit, revise and submit. So I assume the editor who is doing this is going to wait on Matt Barber over here but is probably going to re- send this to revise and submit. And all those comments that they, that they mentioned go to the reviewer, uh, go to the author and the group of authors. And I find the rate limiting factor is usually in the revise and submit because they've spent so long to do an article, get a little tired to send us back the revision. But that that's our review process here. Uh, I'm a reviewer separately for JAOS and um, um, I I uh, review it in the same style uh, as this. I give my minor and major revisions and I I usually go online, 52, they said this. And then the decision is made by that first editor and then it goes to another level of editors, uh, another editor who would agree or not agree with that. So it's a, we have about four to six reviewers per article because we don't want one rejection to knock someone out if five say revise and submit and then um then we have a two step editor editors process to accept an article um you know we have a little advantage in that uh, we produce about 120 articles a year not 10000 uh but that, that that's our process i mean if anyone has any questions about it or whether some criticisms we're always glad to take you know so i think you no know, what what
1: Go ahead, sorry, Lisa. Oh
2: no, go Uh, I think it's great how, uh, you presented and showed them how a review goes. And I always try and summarize with major and minor points. Also, uh, some uh, journals do give you the format to use. And I think for everyone that's younger and on this, there are multiple opportunities. I know I work with. Uh, two journals on reviewer academies for residents that they have to, that they learn how to do a review. Uh, and we often, and for me, when they work with me on CIS, we've been working with the resident assembly with the academy uh, for four years now uh, on learning how to do reviews. So um, another, there is an article that I have working with the Association of Women's Surgeons on our reviewer academy, which we just started. I kind of gave them the idea of what we did. And I think one of the things that I do when I'm teaching someone how to do review, I make sure we talk about it in person and not, or not in person, but by phone or Zoom, instead of just emailing back and forth because you can, you know, get different. uh, They might have, they read things different than you do, obviously with the difference in experiences. And another thing, I mean, I didn't get to comment on the references. If someone's writing an article, one thing I look at is the reference list. First of all, they're detailed to the reference list. If they actually have a lot of errors in it, it kind of makes me question their research, a little bit more you know you don't want to make errors in that and then I also try and look and make sure at least uh about 30 percent of the references are current from the past five five years if they're doing a, something that is of interest to everybody there should be current uh, references included.
1: Yo, you have a question? Um, I Ira, uh, and not necessarily directly to the point of, of reviewing, but, you know, as we get into this, you know, uh, digital world and we look at some of the traditional journals and their workflow, and we all know that uh, they're really important in advancing science, but they all have a P and L and they all have an association that they, uh, helps uh, subsidize or support um, and I you know I, I look at you know this is a controversial topic but I think this is a perfect platform to ask it absolutely. How do you sort of ask people to, to give of their time and not uh, necessarily um, provide them any uh, financial consideration right So people are providing work, hour, two hours, um, of volunteerism to these journals that end up turning a profit, yeah, using that money for various other reasons, some of which are very valiant. Uh, but still, it's it is still a service. Uh, and as as the world changes and things become more digital, um, how do you balance that as an editor and, and think about that?
0: You know, it's a great point. I I've uh talked a lot about the fact that you know I've I've written we've all written chapters in ICLS and and it's done by Walter's Kluwer that had 1.2 billion dollars in revenue last year and you, you know you just spent around 3 weeks of your life writing this chapter um so what what we do we broke a couple of rules at Joey. um we actually reimburse uh, we we I we pay our reviewers an honorarium for every review so they get a one hundred dollar Amazon gift certificate for each review, and at the end of the year, five percent of the gross revenue of the journal gets split among the people who did reviews uh, pro rata. So we're sort that's, of that's
1: that's that's amazing, and I think that's very progressive. And it's not because it's about the finances, but you know, uh, it's important to be very transparent and. and people are giving of their time. A lot of these people are highly sought after individuals that can really provide great insight, and great value to the journals. And I think it's short-sighted to think of it as purely just um, sort of altruistic activity when the sort of the business running that journal is, is, is making a fair amount of money. And we were not exactly clear on how that money is utilized.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great, great point. I mean, I, you know, you end up sometimes feeling a little bit abused when you see the numbers of uh, Springer Nature, Walters Cluer, El and others. Um, we started this way. Um, um, one of the reasons was we thought if we gave them a check, a $100 check doesn't excite anybody. But getting an Amazon gift certificate in your email is kind of cool, you okay. know.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, and it's and it's your money not your family's money because it's your account you know you know you're not putting it into the pot you know so all of a sudden i have a couple of reviewers and jeffrey wint is on the call here he's a big reviewer and you know and uh, some some guys could, could probably buy a yugo or something with their uh <laughs> with, I, don't know about that, but... I don't know about that but it's but it's nice to get right jeff I and mean, yeah
3: it's nice but it all goes to the pot that's the only other problem <laughs> yeah it's not really your own money, but that's all right.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. It all goes to the top But it's uh, it was the way we could electronically transfer money without, in an easy way. But but at least we're, we're cracking at least the nut of starting to pay. It started at $50. Now it's $100. You know, as the journal uh, collects some more advertising dollars, we're probably going to increase that. You know, we, we have a number that we want to share with the reviewers, you know.
3: You know, and it's very nice. It's very nice to have that consideration. I, I still like doing reviews because I like learning about things. I like looking more into things that I want to learn about. And I, I approach it that way. Sometimes, you know, reaching out into things that maybe I don't know a lot about, or I'm not an expert on, put it that way, but, but I kind of know a little bit about. So what I like to do is I like to really research the topic, uh, make sure I pick a topic that I can, that I'm capable of learning about or know enough about. And I really spent a lot of time on the references also and really make sure the references are relevant. Because I think, you know, I think one of the things that papers serve, especially online, is that, you know, your references are, are kind of your anchoring point besides what you're saying. And your references provide a basis to, for people to read more. And so if you have good references, then the paper has more relevance and, and, your, and the paper teaches people things. So, you know, I just want to stress that besides what everybody else mentioned. Next so job.
2: how do you handle late reviewers? You know, one of the things everyone says, I'll do a review and then they're late. Uh, tell us how, you know, you have all these people on this call that want to be reviewers, but sometimes things come up and they're late. So what, how, how are you going to nudge them along? Um,
0: you, know, you know, I think everyone does it differently. Joe, in, in your journals, are you in a position to sort of,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard because the people I want sometimes as an associate editor for some journals to review are clearly somewhat overextended. And the timelines that we have arbitrarily picked nowadays versus 10 years ago, which are 14 or 21 days, is really very challenging for some reviewers and even to respond to the requests, right? So sometimes you send out a request and if they don't respond in 35 <clears throat> days, you send them a notice that on your behalf that you are no longer being requested. So it's, it's very, um, the turnover time is very fast. I think that we have to be cognizant that people are still the same people they were in the sixties. They're no longer, they're not iPhones and their turnaround time is not going to be that much faster based on technology. Because the ability for me to do a review is not based on me having some artificial intelligence uh, that allows me to review a paper much faster than I did 10 years ago. If it did, then great. I can review that for you in 10 days and respond to your email. But oftentimes, it takes me three to five days to get to all my backlog of emails. And then probably two weeks before I get to sit down for a good period of time and review that paper. Uh, And then meanwhile, you are getting some sometimes unflattering notices that you're late that you're going to be disinvited soon. And sometimes the editor will reach out and say, what's going on? And you're like, well, uh, I'm trying to take care of patients, my family, my personal well-being, and this paper, uh, all of which are coming to a head at probably four to six weeks, not three to weeks. So I think that the timelines have become a little bit overly aggressive. And maybe in a virtual world and maybe – The format that Joey has is a little bit easier for that, but sometimes in some of the more traditional journals, it's a little bit more challenging, I think.
2: One suggestion, you know, I there's always, uh, I know it's killing trees, but I'm of the type that likes to print because I'm not going to carry my... I carry a bag around, you know, and I'm waiting for cases in the lounge. Uh, it's a perfect time to pick up that review paper and read it and write my comments down. That's one of the things that I do to be efficient, because, you know, just like this weekend when I was operating, they're getting all their line, anesthesias, getting all their lines in. And um, that is a great time to just uh, sit down. You, It's 20, 30 minute delay, but you're there, especially when you're on call. I'm there and I have to be there. So I try to bring my work with me to get the first read. As Joe said, we do read it the first time and that uh, at least gets it in my mind uh, and <clears throat> I can begin to think about it. You
0: know, it's interesting. I, uh, you know, when I review, well, two, a couple of things. I, I At Joey, we usually have a minimum of four reviewers per paper. But all I'm really looking for is two minimum and three ideal. But so if I invite five people and two are late, eh, you know, they missed the boat. But we never, we never send anyone a threatening letter. You'll be disinvited. We get it. You people are busy. Uh, and that's why there's a little redundancy in our in our reviewers. Um the the other thing is that um when I review a paper, um I like just have a system. It's like it's like doing surgery. I have a system. When I read it the first time, I also have Google Scholar up on my other screen. So as I'm reading the article on one screen, as soon as I get to a reference, I quickly look up the reference and at least read the abstract of the reference. Justice and a number of times in on three reviews for JAAOS because I don't review for Joey. Um, I just found inconsistency in, in the quotations of the references. And I mentioned, you know, these five references did not say what you said they said, you know, um, or came to that conclusion. But I have a system. So I I, I and I think Joe does too, and at least those, but you're right, Joe. It 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 takes a lot of time. Um and um and um the, the, we we give our journal uh three weeks to review, but in reality, it's five because I don't really get to. I give them a little grace period. So it's somewhere about four to five weeks. Um,
1: hey, have- for some of our listeners out there, can you explain to them or uh, tell them how do people become reviewers, right? So you you finish, residency and fellowship, maybe you haven't written a paper, maybe you've written a couple papers, but you want to become a reviewer, but you're not really sure how to do that. And some people think it's obnoxious to reach out to the editor and say, hey, I'd like to review for your journal. But I think that's a very good way to do it, I think, from from the JSCS perspective. But how else do people get involved in ability to be a reviewer?
0: Yeah, um, well, for me, what I do is a lot of times, you know, I'm on LinkedIn a lot and I'll notice people doing posts in shoulder and elbow or in hand or in foot and ankle. And I'm looking for reviewers there. And I see they're actively posting and I'll check out their credentials, you know, on LinkedIn. And I will reach out to a lot of people and ask them to review, um, you know. And and I'm also especially looking for young people, uh, you know, f- four to seven years out, four to 10 years out uh, for a fresh perspective. And plus they tend to have a different type of timeframe um so i, I have actually, too many
1: reviewers I reckon you ever say to yourself oh gosh i have too many reviewers in the bank
0: no no such <laughs> thing no such thing it's it's like it's like you know having too few infections you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah there's no such thing that we have 105 reviewers and and we we get about 10 to 15 new articles a month which is not massive you know but they're all pretty good and you know I still worry every time I send out the email who wants to review what, you know, because every time there's an orphan article on, you know, a total joint replacement and revision total joint replacement and arthrogryposis, and I'm just not getting a lot of people signing up for that one, you know, but uh, I never can have too many, especially in our type of journal where we throw it out there and see who we don't assign, we don't assign anyone we throw it out there and see who wants to pick from the pool that's there. So people choose the
1: articles. Let me let me ask you this too, because since you're you're an editor and you've started this journal, there's a lot of robo journals out there, and they're always sending you messages to yeah. submit. And there's also these, you know, uh, journals for hire where you got to pay money. Yeah. To to get the journal, and and some of them are indexed, some of them are not. What what are your in, you know, you're in the in circle. What what's the word on the street about these journals? We all get spanned by these journals yeah. from who, where.
0: You know, my I don't like them. I I get the same ones. You know, you've been invited to yeah. uh, submit to the Journal of Orthopedic Technology and Society. You know, it's some some name like that. Um, my first rule of thumb is, I look at who the editor is and the editorial board. And I like to say there needs to be a face of the journal. Sometimes the face is a society, which is great. Sometimes it's 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 a person or a group of people with a track record. Um, I'm at, Joey, of course. Does not charge article processing fees. We charge no nothing for uh, reprints and nothing for no subscriptions. So we're sort of an odd model. So we don't we don't need to push for articles because articles don't make us money. Articles make us quality. So, you know, I'm not looking to spam it because, you know, a lot of these articles that we get spam, uh, ask for an article processing cost, which is anywhere from a thousand dollars to $4,700. And of course they're going to want to accept you into their 20, you know, some of these, some of these publishing houses, that just have huge, um, huge numbers of journals, you know, and they, they, and some of them are indexed, some of them are not. We're only indexed in Google Scholar. We had to wait two years to apply to PubMed. Our application is almost in. We don't know if we're going to get it, you know, but um, we should, but you, you don't know, you know, I hope that answers the question <laughs>
2: Those article requests always come. In, I'm on the East Coast, so they're, they're always in my mailbox in the middle of the night. So when I wake up in the morning, that's those are the articles requests to come. You know, Ira, what do you do when someone's beginning to write? They might not, you know, our medical students write. Articles and then their you know senior authors read them, but they don't realize that they're copying things that are plagiarized. You know that they didn't reword it. Talk about that and how you deal with that.
0: Well, in our instructions to the to the reviewers, which are like a video we give, we we, we do mention that if you can sense that the that there are quotes or there are paraphrasing that's going on. That would go against any academic center's code of ethics. Um, and um, so it's almost an automatic rejection uh, if the, if plagiarism or, um, you know, something in that range. It doesn't have to, you know, or paraphrasing, but not really giving credit to it. I mean, you could take an exact quote out as long as you reference it and put it in quotations, you know, but... You know, when when you call the work your own, it's hard to find. I mean, there are programs that do that, as you know, that, that could find that. We We're not as sophisticated as that at, at, at Joey. you know, but you know a lot of people know the literature and if they find something, they'll say it. That's why my method is always to look at the uh, conclusions of the reference uh, that they do and and see if see if anything is there. But for me, that would be an automatic rejection uh, and a notation that um, and to tell them why, you know. Um, sometimes it's innocent, but it's still against the code of ethics, you know.
2: Right. It's, and it might be innocent. And that's why I know there's people of lots of different backgrounds on this webinar. So then when you're surgeons reading it, they might not, you know, pick up on it or someone's. You know, it's important that you give credit where credit's due uh, when you're writing the article, because as Ira said, he sits right next to Google Scholar. And I do look at references to make sure that really they're quoting this is coming from this reference. You know, that's why I brought up the reference list. It's important. We look at how you organize it. What you include is uh Jeff said, and, you know, how I, uh, you refer to it. So references are important and giving credit where credit's due is.
1: Yeah. You know, <clears throat> academic integrity is of paramount importance. And so, you know, whether you're the senior author or the first author or the writing author, let's um, not sugarcoat it as a senior author, it's your responsibility to make sure what you're putting out there is, um, been been vetted reviewed and you stand by it and you know even before COVID but now after COVID or during COVID we had this you know plethora of articles sort of uh, poured into the academic world and it's been more about quantity than quality and sometimes that translates into promotion or you know ability to present yourself as a good candidate for residency and or fellowship but maintaining your academic integrity and and not focusing on volume but quality and um, of the paperwork that you're doing is so important for our uh, listeners out there Um, I I know that when I was a resident which was um, back in the 60s just kidding Ira that's when you were a resident Um, that that was
0: when I was a junior attending yeah
1: People had like three to five publications as a resident. That was considered phenomenal. Now we have residents graduating literally with 50 to a hundred publications, which most senior faculty don't have sometimes. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable to me because some of it is just plug and play. Some of it is database research. Some of it is complete nonsense. So, you know, promoting quality uh, as a, Senior member of of your subspecialty or specialty is very important. Understanding the process, understanding the people behind the process, understand what you put through it and how things get published. And you can't hide behind the mirror or the mask of, I didn't look at that because my, you know, undergraduate student or medical student wrote that. It's your responsibility as a senior author to make sure you know what's getting put out there. Uh, And if it doesn't smell right, it probably isn't right.
3: I think yeah,
2: I've, I've said that before. That has the senior authors actually reviewed it, uh, because I'm a little bit surprised. We have a comment from the chat. Jose suggested when he reviews, when he reads the paper, since it's on PDF, he uses a sticky note to organize his questions and comments.
0: Yeah, the the other thing you can use is if you're reviewing and it comes to you in a PDF, you can get. Um, you have to pay for this. It's about fourteen dollars a month. Um, Acrobat, Re- Acrobat um, Document Cloud, Acrobat DC, which allows you to actually highlight things and put co- put comments in, um, pretty heavily. Or you could even turn it into a Microsoft Word document, uh, with Acrobat DC. And so I I sort of encourage the reviewers to pay for Acrobat uh, DC probably i've just thought about right now if any reviewers want it the journal should probably pay for it (laughs) yeah probably more than more than that um i think a good reviewer will first of all also look for good syntax and clarity of thought um i think i'm amazed at how many articles i'm having trouble understanding the english i mean and and this is this is native english speaking people you know what I'm, saying? I'm not you know i'm not getting an article from uh, you know eastern mongolia I'm, I'm getting an article from new york and you know it it, it 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 i'm amazed i mean it's one of the first things i look for it's really hard to accept an article that has poor syntax poor grammar um, you know the first read what we do is at the journal I have somebody who uh, was previously a previous job was a script ri- script reader for a company. Read about ten scripts, fifteen scripts a day, and he reads through every article and picks out all the syntax errors and everything. After the reviewers look at it and send those back separately to a lot of the authors, um, we we do that because it's just just reads better, you know. I don't, know, no, I don't know if other journals do that, but we started that.
2: That's important. And uh, Jonathan uh, is on the webinar, and he brought up a good point that schools offer free subscriptions to that uh, Acrobat with Adobe Acrobat Reader, so your institution might have that.
0: Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, Joe, well, how old were you when you were, did your first review? I mean, where were you, not age-wise, where were you in your training?
1: Uh, I was probably uh, a first-year attending. And I was honored that a journal thought to ask me to review an article. And um, I can still remember when Bill Mallon, in the back of a room at the ASCS meeting, asked me if I wanted to be an assistant editor about 10 years ago. I was going, gosh, this editor in chief of this prestigious journal thinks I'm uh, of value to be able to assist him in his job at being an editor in chief. And, you know, it's, it is, it's, it truly is an honor. And I think that most of us are are similar. We're um, type A personalities. We really want to work hard and achieve, but don't overextend yourself either because if you say yes to too many things and perform poor quality, then that journal and their subsection of associate and, and editors in chiefs will start realizing that you don't provide good feedback and they'll stop asking you. So only say yes to the things that you can do a good job with, uh, feel, feel okay to decline things. They'll ask you again. I think people value the fact that you decline in a timely manner rather than decide to do it, do, do a delayed poor job. Uh, and, uh, they decide that they're not going to ask you anymore. That's probably worse.
0: Sometimes I find that, uh, reviewing an article is harder than writing it (laughs) you know because i you got to get into the head of the author where they're going and then start looking at the statistics um it's just a process that is tedious works very well for people whose right side of their brain is working strong if you're a left side brain person it's a little tough you know um but uh you know it's a little being a reviewer is a, a little harder than you think and um and i think joe's point is right if you can't review an article or you know that the next five to ten weeks look tough for you just say no that time Uh, you know a review would uh, uh, an editor would rather you say no than say yes and come in very late i mean i think we all could agree on that concept yeah um if anyone else has some questions we could we could Keep on going. Uh, Lisa, any other uh, comments about um, how you make a decision? What's that? I mean, if you were to review 10 articles, what do you think historically your rejection percentage has been, your revise and submit and accept on first time?
2: Very few are accept on first time. Very, very few uh, you have to be at the you know that one to three percent of the bell curve uh, I ex- uh, it, you know and likewise there also should be reject without review there as an editor there are certain articles that actually shouldn't even be sent to reviewers It would be a waste of reviewer time I think that you know as an editor we have to uh, look at that too so that we're only sending sending to reviewers, we we look at it first and we make sure it's worth reviewing. I uh don't accept more most I don't accept um without, you know, like one in every thousand I would review would get accepted without any uh, revisions. Most of the time, there can be some revisions. Uh, and what makes me accepted? Who I, I think about? Who cares about this? What difference is it going to make? You know, to put it in those terms, because we're all talking different specialties and everything. But who's going to care about this? And what difference does it make? And if it makes a difference. Uh most of the time I would say that I uh except with minor revisions, only about 10 to 15 percent, except with major revisions, more like uh 40 percent and the rest get rejected. Really I'm not over a 50 percent acceptance rate. Right. What do you think, Joe? Joe yeah. and Ira. <laughs> is that about right? Uh
1: yeah, it's yeah, I, I would agree that except with minor revisions is is pretty rare Um, major revisions about 40 percent and the rest are rejections um and some of them just you know are not relevant to the journal the some of them the methods are just not appropriate some of them quite honestly can't even follow their train of thought uh and it was Mm -hmm. written poorly and you know sometimes you know you even wonder yourself why did the associate editors or editors even send us out for a review Because they didn't even look at it because clearly it was not uh, a manuscript worthy of being even reviewed.
0: You know, so the way I handle those Joe specifically, which is a great point, I will uh, read through the article first. And if I feel it's going to get what's called, what I call a desk rejection, you know, from the editor's desk, I actually will still send it to one reviewer that I, you know, my reviewers now have a history. We've been doing this for three years so i will send to one and say i'm thinking of desk rejecting this i just want you to confirm that you agree with my view of this so, you know only so the journal just doesn't have uh, this autocratic kind of i'm desk I'm desk rejecting it so i'll just send it to one person or i'll send it to another deputy editor <clears throat> send it to vin at least it hasn't been a trauma one that 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 was desk rejected. So you haven't seen one, um, and oh, I'll send it to someone who's reviewed a lot of sports for me or a lot of shoulder and say, you know, because we we desk reject certain things not because they're poor quality but they just don't belong in our journal. Right. So there have been some really great articles, but we tend to not like uh, not like we tend to. Frown upon uh, database studies at Joey because they don't re- respect, they're, they're not experience or innovation. They're, so, they're, so they can have a great, they can flow and get accepted to JVJS. It's just most of those are not appropriate for us. So that would be no. a classic desk rejection with a very nice letter saying it's a wonderful article, but it doesn't represent experience and innovation. And we recommend strongly recommend you put it somewhere else because it has great contribution, you know something of that nature
2: yeah remember said before you do review, read the journal you know read about the journal so you know what they represent that's yeah. that's important so um, Laura,
1: yeah. um one of the things that's very uh you know important these days or coming up these days is, is chat gbt yeah and yeah. I, I wonder if you've seen articles submitted about that or have you seen anything about that? Because I think people are starting to wonder what the capabilities of that are to answer questions uh, for people, for patients, uh, and what the reliability of that is.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. With um, Mark Levine, who uh, is a spine surgeon in New Jersey, and um, myself, Tom Mead, and Steve Howell Uh, We're doing an experiment that's going to come out in Joey within about six to eight weeks. I I, uh, queried a number of times, ChatGPT, about mechanical versus kinematic alignment, and then eventually asked it to write an editorial. I sent that editorial to um, Tom Mead and Steve Howell, who just wrote a book on that, and said, I want you to comment on this. Oh, no. And then I said, tell me what you think of this. Could you do better? And they said, of course we can do better. It's not fully accurate, you know. Uh, and we're actually going to produce their article, an editorial on it, the chat GPT, and their critique on the chat GPT.
1: Yeah. It's a very hot uh item this this this, this time. And it's interesting to see what the journals start publishing about it.
0: Yeah. So we just yeah. have three minutes. I just wanna uh, if anyone has any last questions, you can throw them in. Of course, um, um, all the people on here pretty much know how to contact me through LinkedIn or or elsewhere. Uh, Lisa, Joe, just some final thoughts before we come off. I'll start with Lisa this time. Just some summary thoughts.
2: I I think that being a reviewer is first being asked is an honor and then uh, try and do a good job and think about it. Nothing's so much more exciting than having people talk about an article that you reviewed and accepted, but you know, you made it better. You made it better to affect the future of orthopedic surgery. So take the job seriously.
1: Go, Yeah. And I think that uh, in addition to the honor of being a reviewer is the honor of being published and understanding what the reviewer is looking at, how they're thinking is very important because the reviewer is your audience. They're uh, what stands between you and a publication. And and they're trying to maintain the integrity of the science and the journal. And those are some critical things that we touched on that they're looking at. You need to be able to answer those things. Otherwise, unfortunately, you're going to get a rejection. And nothing's more exciting than getting your first acceptance for a paper. You realize all of a sudden, for those that enjoy academics, that you're hooked, that you really enjoy that process of asking a question, writing it, writing out your, you know, uh, methods and discussion and conclusions and seeing that paper in print. Um, It's it's an addictive high.
0: Well, I want to, uh, first of all, mention to all the participants, uh, my gratitude to Lisa Canada and Joe Abu to take their time away uh, as you know uh ninety five percent of people on this uh on this chat on this uh uh seminar here are residents and fellows I want to thank Jeffrey went and Bruce Gomberg uh editors at the journal of uh, joining us and contributing um but I do want to thank Lisa and Joe this is just I know you guys are so busy and um um the ten thousand dollar check no no <laughs> The uh, I
1: just want an Amazon gift card for 100 bucks.
0: Yeah, it's that's that's easy,
1: man. Uh
0: They go out, I don't even know anymore. Yeah, but um, I want to thank you guys very much for this. We're going to uh, take this, do a little editing, and post it up on Joey for a little bit of enduring media. I hope everybody had a great uh, understanding of what it means to not only be a reviewer, but to that great comment you both you made about um integrity um and credibility in what you do and and both of you I think are uh are uh standards of that and I, I really I genuinely mean that all, all all our friendship and kidding aside I just really uh uh everyone's uh on this group should be is very pleased that you you joined us and I want to thank you so much
2: thank you for the opportunity and for your incredible journal <laughs> changing Thanks,
1: And Lisa, thank you. It was great to uh, co-moderate this with you.
0: All right. Bye-bye, everybody.